to be back with you, amen, and uh, very much been looking forward to spending time here ministering, and I uh, send my greetings. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And uh, this morning, um, being that it's Father's Day, I don't typically feel the obligation to meet the need of a theme. Um, I have a very particular direction. I like to go in a revival, but I got very inspired to uh, meet the need of the theme this morning on Father's Day. Uh, It's going to dig a bit deep. For some, it may be a little uncomfortable Uh, But where we're heading this morning is to an altar of healing. There are a lot of needs sitting in this building this morning. Amen. A lot of them are beyond what we can meet within ourselves and our own humanity. But God's aware of the needs of His people. Uh, God's aware of where you've been in life. He's aware of where you're at in life. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what you're afraid of. And God wants to meet with us this week. And we're going to designate these altars as a place of healing. When I say healing, I'm talking about spiritual healing. There are woundings of life that are represented here this morning. Uh, There are going to be people all week that are coming that need a touch from God. Amen. There are going to be people God's going to bring from your outreach. They're going to need a touch from God. Uh, We're going to believe God together. And I'm very honored to be here, grateful for the invitation. And I want to take you to Judges chapter 11. And then I have two other one-verse texts, Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21. Now this uh, message may open up some emotions uh, that perhaps you don't want to have to deal with, but if you will allow... God access to your heart this morning. There's going to be great freedom that is going to be gained. Now, we're going to touch on a complex subject today. And in large part, it deals with today's fatherless crises. And before you think what I'm going to minister doesn't apply to you, just just kind of open your ears a little bit this morning. And I want to begin with reading a quote out of a book On the subject, he says, from a societal perspective, this particular consequence of fatherlessness is very much like most others. It doesn't have a remedy. Paternal disinvestment cannot be offset by either maternal investment or public investment. 
As society, we will not solve our crises of fatherlessness with prison cells, mentoring programs, anti-violence curricula, boyfriends, anti-stalking laws, children's advocates, income transfer, self-esteem initiatives, or even by mothers. We will only solve it with fathers. Now, that's a, a very deep statement. In some cases, what we're dealing with will not be fixed until eternity. But what I want to bring to you this morning is that God can powerfully move and He can wonderfully help you in an area that is a very deep wounding of life for many people. There was a chapter in a book called The Lost Idea. It said the fatherless family of the United States in the late 20th century is a social invention of the most daring, untested design. It represents a radical departure from virtually all human history and experience. So there's a lot of damage in what we're dealing with today, what I call the father issue. But there's one area and one response that all can participate in that will assure that healing can take place in your heart, in your life. And I want to minister this sermon entitled, Forgiving Your Father. I want to go to Judges chapter 11. We're going to read three verses there. Beginning in verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, You will have no inheritance in our father's house because you're the son of another woman. And Jephthah fled from his brothers, dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah, went out raiding with him. Ephesians 6 verse 4, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. In Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. So I want to minister on forgiving your father. And I want to first talk about the staggering statistics this morning. Now, from a purely statistical standpoint, absent fathers have ravaged an entire generation. And we are dealing with a topic that has gutted a generation of men and women and left many a shell of what God's intention is. Now, before we go into all the statistical data, I want to make a quote, and it's not my quote, but it says, standards may be set by mothers, but they are enforced by fathers. Now, in these texts that I read in the New Testament, they are an address to the fathers. And you'll find this to be the onus or the burden or responsibility throughout Scripture and God's emphasis point. Now, God is known to us as the God of our fathers or even as Father God. And in our text, he establishes the father's influence upon children. And in Ephesians 6, 4, that you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and the admonition of the Lord. And so in God's creation, a father was always meant to be 
the means in which God's purposes were lived out and applied to the family unit. Now, the devil has waged war on that today. And we can all agree it's an absolute mess. And the devil has waged war against leadership in our generation. He has sought to neuter men in our generation and remove all male authority from the institutions like schools. Today, 86% of teachers are female. And that is not a statement against women. They're excellent teachers. But what it is, it's an observation of a very slow decay in our school systems and in teaching that has eroded the critical structure of authority, which has been a huge part of God's creation and purpose in every arena. So it's no coincidence that with absent fathers and absent male authority, that the whole ADHD phenomenon is so off the charts, beyond what, they're just throwing pills at people today. Without the father figure or the authority figure in the forefront, kids come out from under covering. They become exposed to all manner of demonic agendas, emotionally speaking. This is where a lot of emotional bondages come from. And the result is, in many cases, kids out of control. And I'll be the first to say, and I talk to a lot of kids, I do our, two of our boot camps in our fellowship, that initially it's not their fault. What they were born into, it was not their fault. But it begins to live out and becomes, begins to set the course of their lives and they begin to cooperate with this. And they put them on drugs, they subdue them. And in our text to the fathers, it says, look, bring them up in training and the admonition of the Lord. Be careful. There's an encouragement involved along with the discipline of raising our kids. This word training simply means a trainer or a teacher deals with a discipliner or an instructor to educate or to teach. And the word admonition is calling attention to the need of mild rebuke or warning and to caution. And so it's a, it's a whole arena of training up a child when a father is missing a lot of that is missing. Now, I'm going to say this to you because I don't want to spook single moms. Look, I, I have a very keen connection. My daughter is a single mother. She has a nine-year-old boy. And so I understand a lot of the struggles. I'm not trying to spook you, but I'm going to share with you for a moment some statistics that are not pretty. But there's a lot of hope in the gospel. Amen. And one of them is an article called The Consequences of Fatherlessness. And a simple statement, some fathering advocates would say that almost every social ill faced by America's children is related to fatherlessness. Six of them that they noted, children from fatherless homes are more likely to become poor become involved in drug and alcohol abuse, drop out of school, suffer from health and emotional problems. Boys are more likely to become involved in crime and girls are more likely to become pregnant as teenagers. And so the sobering reality of what we're dealing with, and while there are exceptions to everything, or exceptions are not the rule, but let me state to you that I can tell you 
by virtue of being saved and by virtue of you being in church, your circumstance can become an exception. It doesn't have to follow the norm of society. Can you say amen this morning? Because of the gospel, because of the power of what God can do. And so there is hope, although the statistics are crude. The statistics are not pretty. They're going to cause panic in some hearts. But before we're done, there's hope this morning. And I want to read just two more articles before I move on into the crux of the sermon. From dadforkids.com, statistics of fatherless America. When it comes to sexual activity, they found that compared to families with two natural parents living in the home, that sexual activity was far greater. Drinking problems, drinking abuse, uh, that by large the statistics are that they come from on a larger statistical level from one-parent homes. Drug abuse, the absence father in the home significantly affects the behavior of these adolescent times in people's lives. Greater use of alcohol, sexual abuse, they found that the majority of children came from disrupted or single-parent home, while 31% of those that were sexually abused were with biological parents. Child abuse. 49% of all child abuse cases are committed by single mothers. Listen, if you're in that circumstance this morning, God can undergird you and help you. Amen. But we're going to need God in the picture. Can you say Amen. Suicidal tendencies, they found that 20, uh, uh, a large percentage of this study, teens living in a single parent home or family were more likely to commit suicide. Confused identities, we're dealing with that off the charts, it's an agenda now, but boys who grow up in father absent homes are more likely than those in father present homes to have trouble establishing their gender identity. Psychiatric problems, we can go into that. Uncooperative kids, emotional distress. Children living with a never married mother are more likely to have been treated for emotional problems. And then from an article called The Fatherless Generation, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless runaway children fatherless homes. 32 times the average 85% of all children who show behavior disorders fatherless homes, 20 times the, the national average. 80% of rapists with anger problems from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts from fatherless homes, 9 times the average. 75% of all adolescent patients of chemical abuse, fatherless homes, 10 times the average. 70% of youth in state operated institution are from fatherless homes, nine times the national average. And I just read this morning, literally as I was before church, as of Father's Day 2022, America has spent about 60 years exhausting the alternatives to fatherhood. The collateral damage is all around us. Broken families, gutted communities, betrayed women, terrified children, busy morgues, overflowing prisons. The evidence is so overwhelming, it's not really controversial anymore. Children who grew up without their fathers, especially in communities where fatherlessness has been the norm, carry the heaviest social, 
economic and psychological cross-social science that, that they can measure. And the mountain of data is humongous. That children raised in single-parent homes constitute 63% of all teen suicides, 90% of runaways and homeless children, 85% of all behavior disorder patients, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of teenagers in substance abuse rehab centers, 85% of young prison inmates. Uh, this gives us an idea of what we're facing. So I want to talk to you about the emotional issue. I'm taking you somewhere, and don't think this is just for young kids. There are full-grown adults here that God is going to help you at this altar this morning. The emotional issue. There's a whole spiritual and emotional issue in what we're dealing with, the whole father issue. Now, I just came from the Texas boot camp, literally flew in Saturday. We finished Friday night. And those of you that are in your boot camp, you understand what I'm going to say. That a large part of what we deal with is the father issue in these kids. I mean, it's nonstop. You're talking to kids. You just ask the question, where's your father? I mean, a large portion of them either don't know or it's just a mess. In our text in Judges 11, we find this young man named Jephthah. He is described as the son of a harlot. Now think about this distinction that he has to live with. This is not his fault. In the sense that his father decided to go out, uh, he has a fling with a prostitute. The offspring is he impregnates this prostitute, uh, and Jephthah is the offspring of that, but this would be his identity, that you're the son of a harlot. He's brought into his father's house now as a stepchild because his father is having children with his wife. Those stepchildren called him the son of another woman. That his father created this mess, but there's nothing that tells us that his father ever tried to remedy the situation. And he leaves Jephthah seemingly to fend for himself. So this is where the angering young men come from, by large. The Bible doesn't say it, but I don't think it's a far stretch to make the conclusion that Jephthah's direction in life was empowered by his issue with his father and the situation that his father placed him in. And the Bible says in verse 3 of Judges 11 that Jephthah fled from his brothers, dwelt in the land of Tob, Worthless men banded together with Jephthah and they went out raiding with him. No doubt other angry young men. We find no intervention of any sort by Jephthah's father to reach out into his son to work through the issues that are related to his identity crisis. And this whole scenario creates this emotional instability. It drives him to a life of crime living in the streets. Does that sound familiar? Today's issue. We're talking about the issue of absent fathers or present but disconnected fathers. And again, my perspective comes from talking to teenagers in boot camps and hearing what they feel about that. There's one set of emotions that are linked to the father simply not having been there. There's a whole other set that are just as detrimental to the kids that their father was there but totally disconnected. It has impacted an entire generation. I spoke with a lot of angry young men this week, hurt, confused young women because of the father issue. 
And what I'm addressing goes beyond just the young people sitting in the congregation. But full-grown adults that now you have your own family. See, my wife came from a broken home. Her father divorced her mother when she was 10 years old. And this blew this little 10-year-old's world apart. She got saved at 18, and I'll tell the rest of this at the end of the sermon, but she told me when we were discussing this, this is what she said. Listen to what she said. In dealing with her father and forgiving him. It's a decision you have to make every day to overcome and forgive and reject the emotional tendency of rejection that you've experienced in life. That's what she told me. I realize that the things that people have been through in life, because of dysfunctional families or dads that have abandoned their homes or dads that are in prison or the violations that people have experienced, it's very, very deep. It's real. It's no joke. There's a, a, a lady named Dylan Farrow. Dylan Farrow the adopted daughter of the celebrity Woody Allen. And as her father, Woody Allen, is getting all of this recognition from the community, these awards in Hollywood and all this, because he's so great, she's holding on to these horrible emotions because when she was seven years old, he sexually abused her. As he's being nominated a few years back for an Oscar award... She's lived this tormented life because of what he did to her. So she wrote an open letter for all to see and posted it. All across the world of what her father did. And she finished the letter with this statement. Today I consider myself lucky. I'm happily married. I have the support of my amazing brothers and sisters. I have a mother who found within herself a well a fortitude that saved us from the chaos of a predator in our home. See, we're talking about deep emotional baggage linked to the father issue today. And what we're dealing with is really staggering when we think about it and consider it. Let me read it to you the way it was described. This is fascinating. I'm going to try to read this so you can grasp it as I go. So imagine something big. It's made out of glass. It's called fatherhood. First imagine it slowly shrinking. Then imagine it suddenly shatters into pieces. Now look around. Try to identify the shards. Over here is marriage. Over there is procreation. Over here is manhood. Over there parenthood. Here rights, their responsibilities. In this direction it's what's best for me. In that direction, it's what's best for the child. Off to one side, looking nervous, is an emaciated fellow we must now call a biological father. He's filling out forms and agreeing to mail in child support. To the other side is some guy the experts now call a social father, wondering what to do next and whether he wants to even do it. In the middle, poking through the rubble, and deciding when to leave are the mothers and children. There's much anger, much talk of rights. People are phoning their lawyers. People are making excuses. People are exclaiming how complicated things have become. 
Indeed, as fatherhood fragments, things do become complicated. Culturally, the story of fatherhood becomes harder to figure out. For as we witness the collapse of fatherhood as a social role for men, we become confused and divided about the very nature and the meaning of fatherhood. Parenting experts question whether there's anything truly gendered about fatherhood, so they're really losing their mind. Scholars win research grants to investigate whether father's absence actually harms children. Social workers debate whether it helps children, especially poor children, to press their fathers for names on birth certificates. Judges try to sort out the tangled custody conflicts, pinning unmarried biological fathers against the father figures, such as the mother's boyfriend or the former boyfriend. Journalists write stories alternatively condemning deadbeat dads and sympathizing with the plight of these teenagers. That's a pretty sobering description because all that we're talking about has left very, very deep emotional scars in people's lives. And we're trying to figure out in some areas of our Christianity, you're saved, you're right with God, you love God, but there's these struggles. Many of those scars and woundings are sitting in this room this morning. And the root issue for many perhaps would be unforgiveness or bitterness or anger. The idea of bitterness was described like this. It's described as a, a bad taste in your mouth that deals with the idea of being pierced through. It also is described as violence or violent activity internally inside of you. It's the result of things that have happened to you, things people have done to you, things you hold on to. Creates this bitterness in a person's life which the Bible says will spring up and begin to grow. It will take root and eventually defile other relationships that you get into. And listen to me, it will leave you intolerant of any relationship that you perceive may make you feel vulnerable. Now part of this altar call this morning is going to be you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable. And I know a tender area. So that God can get in there and begin to mend it up. There's a lot of folks sitting in church that are loving God on your way to heaven. But you have open wounds that need to be healed. Here's the root of many marriage issues. Many times it's linked right back to the broken, dysfunctional or non-existent relationship that one had or didn't have with their father. I want to read this to you. It talks about girls and the effect of fatherlessness that begins to emerge during their adolescence. Then it says, many of the young women who had done well during adolescence, during the early years of their life, experienced what they called a sleeper effect. And as they moved into late adolescence, all of a sudden they became deathly afraid of failure. Almost all confronted issues of love, commitment. When it came to marriage, lots of anxiety sometimes with great concern about betrayal and abandonment and not being loved 
In response to this, many of the young women and some of the young men appeared counterphobically to have thrown themselves into short-lived sexual relationships, not because it was really fulfilling them, but because it felt safer to them than a commitment. I'm describing some people here this morning. My wife told me that in the early years of our marriage, the early, early years, I remember this part of it. It was, it was kind of tumultuous. It was a lot of insecurity. I was wondering what I was doing wrong as a husband, and I'm sure I was doing plenty not right. <laughs> but there were things I didn't understand, and one of them I, I had no clue about back then was the effect of the divorce that she suffered with her parents. That When her father left their home and walked out for another woman, The day that we got married began this battle of all battles within her because she was deathly afraid I was going to walk out of that house and leave her. I gave her no reason for that, but it wasn't me. It was the wounding of life she had suffered. She told me that that battle on and off again lasted for 10 years. I said, why 10 years? She said, because it was 10 years when my dad divorced my mother She says, after we passed 10 years, I was good. This is the the depth of what I'm talking about. If dysfunction is the norm, if you never seem to be able to see relationships flourish or struggle in that area, or you say, oh, I have no friends, I want you to consider something this morning. I want you to consider the emotions linked to your father or mother that have not been resolved and This will bleed over into how you raise your children, how you interact with your children. Young men like Jephthah who became controlled by anger. Emotions that come out of control and we get so condemned often because we really, we know I shouldn't be acting this way, but it just seems like they control us. It will manifest in your marriage and you have trouble treating your wife with the love and respect that the Bible tells us to because you never saw that love and respect. In males, we're talking about anger and aggression, lack of emotional maturity. In some cases, a strong tendency towards homosexuality. Let me throw some questions out there. Why are 13-year-olds committing violent crimes? I remember what I was doing at 13. I was still a pretty innocent kid at 13. I still had quite an imagination. Why are young pretty girls early on in life throwing themselves in and out of relationships? Why are boys dressing like girls? See, each gender is affected differently from the absence of a father figure. But they've honed it down to two leading results of fatherlessness in boys and in girls. It produces boys with more guns and girls with more babies. Now, there are a lot of variations to how this manifests. When I was on staff in El Paso, we put together this play, and what I wanted was them to put together something that would address the issue of the broken home. It took three renditions of it. I remember each year, and the conflict was, and especially in this one I, I put a dear brother, faithful dear brother in in charge of it. I didn't know that he came out of such dysfunction with his father. I had no idea. 
So he was trying to form the play based upon his particular situation. But then you had all these other people in the play that had theirs. And, and so it took three years to get it down. to We called it Shattered was the final one. And, and we took all these. And where we got all the ideas was what people had been through in life. We started out with just this generic script that became real. And the play was written with all of these different varied voices that came in that said, well, you ought to add this in. And the, why the voices came alive is because that was their experience. Talking about a deep, deep turmoil. The rejection that's associated with this, the anger, the resentment, the identity crisis, the dysfunctional relationships, the lack of ambition, emotional maturity, I want to highlight the road to healing this morning. So I want to talk about forgiving your father. I know what I just said is panicking some of you. So you're like, uh-uh, we're not going there. Yes, we're going there. Because God wants to meet with you this morning. The Bible makes it clear that unforgiveness produces bondage and torment. One of the features of the Lord's Prayer is forgiving, Matthew 6, 12, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in order to flourish in the Christian life, you have to be able to forgive. And, and listen, I believe God is long-suffering in this area. Now, I realize if you're going to hold on to that, fold it in and refuse, I realize that's going to affect the status of your salvation. But I, I believe God is long-suffering here and gives us room to work this out if you're willing to. Follow me this morning, because as hard as this may be for some, here's Jesus on the cross. They have committed inhumane acts against him. They have committed cruelty and things that are unforgivable crimes against the Son of God. And Jesus on that cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. How do you rectify that? Now, I realize that true, complete forgiveness must be reciprocated. It has to be given back to you in order for it to be fully complete. But that's not always the case. There are some, I have preached on this subject, and some have killed, what do I do? My, this person that I need to forgive has already died. There are cases like with my wife that when she decided to forgive her father, he didn't reciprocate that. He made excuses early on for others, the person that they see that have done nothing wrong, in some cases you've never known your father, he can't speak to you in return. But I want to tell you the results of forgiveness can still be attained this morning. It's a decision to make today. I'm going to let this go. Some, for some, the true 100% closure and healing cannot take place until eternity, but you don't have to hold on to and allow the dysfunction, the emotional instability, the fear, the insecurity, the rejection to become these ruling factors of your life any longer. You can be set free. Can you say amen this morning? For some, it may require a daily confession until it becomes a breakthrough in your life because it really is a, a hard prospect. 
Well, I can't forgive him what he did for me to, to me. If my dad didn't care, why should I? But Jesus said, settle your matters quickly with your adversary. Not that we're looking at them as an enemy, but or those that are taking you to court. Because if not, you'll be handed over to the officer and thrown into prison. So what's he saying? That if we're not going to let go, who's the one that really suffers? But we suffer. We get bound up in an emotional prison and it dictates. Uh, and, and it's a conflict. It's an internal conflict. You're trying to live for God and do right in these in- internal conflicts that keep rising up within you. I want to tell you three stories and I'm going to finish. When my wife got saved, she was 18 years old. Beautiful young lady, very smart. She had a a free ride to the local college. But she was a runaway. You wouldn't have never known it. And she was a runaway because she was so angry. 18 years old, she had full-blown rheumatoid arthritis. 18-year-olds don't have rheumatoid arthritis. But hurt, angry ones do. And that was her. God began to deal with her early on in her salvation to forgive her father. Now, this was difficult. She was deeply entrenched in, in bitterness with her father. She had to do the thing where they shipped her off every summer. If you've been through that, you know how uncomfortable that can be. She never really wanted to go, but she had to go. It was part of the deal. Now she's saved. God's saying you need to forgive your father. She didn't know how to go about this. I remember... When this happened, we were both just converts. We weren't married, but she wrote him a letter because he was kind of in a distant place. She wrote him a letter and in this letter asked his forgiveness because she's been angry with him all these years. And the result of that letter was her father telling her, I didn't do anything wrong to you. It was between me and your mother. Well, (laughs) that's never true. The damage is deep. So what are you going to do now? Well, she said, God told me to do this. As a result of that, there was a revival shortly afterward. There was an evangelist that he called her out. He led her in a prayer of forgiveness to seal that thing, and she was instantly healed of that condition in her body. Has never had it again. And not only healed in her body, but God began to heal in her spirit. And I can tell you, we just spent Christmas with her biological father in Medford, Oregon with my daughter, grandkids, son-in-law. We stayed in the Airbnb together. He's been to Thanksgivings with us since God entered in and did a miracle. Can you say amen? There's a pastor's name is Robert Hernandez. He told me I could share this. He pastors in Midland, Texas. And he told me the story that he was raised without his father. He never knew who his father was. He only knew of him. This produced deep, deep anger in his life. And it began to drive him in his early teenage years. It became violent and out of control. And 16 years old, God moved and the young man got saved. Now, he had an estranged relationship with his mother because of this. He blamed her. And while he still knew her and got around her. It was a very tense situation. So now he's saved. He's 16. Shortly into his salvation, God begins to deal with him about forgiving his father. Well, how do I forgive somebody I don't even know? 
This really spooked him, but he took it in. God had done a real conversion. He was willing to go there, but he didn't know what it all meant, so he just tucked it away. 18 years old, he gets a call to come into the pastor's office, and his mother is sitting there. Pastor sits him down, says, your father's in town. He wants to meet you. He was in the National Guard, and he was coming through. Robert's heart begins to race. He knows that what God had told him, now he's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Should I face? He just wanted to run. He didn't want to have to face it. He gets in the car with his mother. They drive to a designated location, and there they wait. His mind is racing. Now, Robert had a baseball bat in his house. This baseball bat had his father's name engraved in it because he was going to use it one day to kill him. Car drives up. His mom says, that's him. Gets out. Comes over. Robert rolls down his window. His dad reaches his hand out to say, it's good to meet you. Robert takes his hand and he pulls him into the window in earshot. I need to ask you to forgive me. I've hated you. With a deep hatred, I have a baseball bat with your name. I was going to kill you. And Robert says, in that moment, God fell. All of them begin to weep uncontrollably. While his father walked away from that and continued walking and didn't come back into his life, something shifted in Robert and his mother that day. Robert was on his way to emotional healing Something radically changed in him. It caused him to forgive his mother. When I was there preaching late last year, his mother is one of the congregant members in his congregation. And Robert is a free man today. I'm going to save the last story for the altar, but I want you to bow your heads with me.